0: I'd like to say that I consider myself to be an environmentalist, or saying it in the context, in our context, I care about God's creation. Mm. Amen. Uh, Thank you. Amen. (laughs) I drive a Chevy Volt. I recycle and I keep my kitchen scraps to the point that after we're done with the service, I'm be driving through the neighborhoods. Around us looking for a green bin and donating to somebody's Denver composting. All right. Please don't judge me for that. <laughs> Each month I look at my Excel bill, hoping to have beaten the previous year. You know, they give you the year-by-year comparison, hoping to bring it down. But of course, because of the rise, perpetual rise of energy costs, you never actually save money. Somehow you use less energy, but your bill still goes up. Alas, I'm always trying to save energy and save money. I'm always running around in my house. I feel like turning off lights. And it drives me crazy when lights get left on all night, whether it be the garage light, the bathroom light, or my bugaboo, the television. And the television is especially problematic. Because not only does it consume energy all through the night, but it's especially easy to turn on. The TV remote is very sensitive, so if it gets bumped by the dogs, or bumped by my children, or bumped by something that goes bump in the night, I come downstairs to find the television has been left on all night. And it drives me crazy. Whether it be the TV, the garage light, or the porch light, I hate Wasting energy. One morning I was pulling out of my driveway from the garage and I saw the porch light shining brightly, having been left on all night. After bemoaning the loss of energy, I thought to myself for a moment, I wonder where all that energy goes. Now surely I'm not the only one here who tries to conserve energy, whether it be for economic or environmental reasons. What are your energy bugaboos? What do you leave on through the night? Is the lights? Is it your TV, your stereo? Nobody is an energy bugaboo like me. All right, you're all better than me. That's fine. That's fine. Okay, there we go. Night lights. Okay. Computer. Yes, good. Thank you. So you can feel my pain then, right? A little bit. (laughs) Okay, a little bit. Do you ever wonder like me, where does all that energy go? After all, while we talk about energy being lost or consumed, according to science, that energy hasn't just disappeared. It's just gone somewhere else. Forgive me for being scientific, but for a moment to try to think back to high school science class. I know for some of it's been longer than others, right? That basic principle of science is that energy can neither be created nor destroyed. That scientific principle is called... Come on, the law of... ther. There we go. The law of thermodynamics. Thank you. Or the the law of conservation of energy. The energy used to power our TV, to illuminate our light bulb through the night, isn't just gone and used up forever. It simply takes a new form in a new way. And if I can get into the weeds for just a moment, as Einstein has taught us, mass itself has energy you know e equals mc squared right Right. all my scientists in here so in my mind i'm not a scientist mind you even then for human beings we have mass there is no such thing as just being dead or gone Mm. we'll get to that everything and everyone will exist in some other form in the future scientifically one author described it like this The universe is a closed system, so the total amount of energy in existence has always been the same, but the forms the energy takes are constantly changing. Let me repeat that because it's important to remember, the forms the energy takes are constantly changing. But we're still left with the question, where does all that energy go? Hmm. So I was reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a lengthy chapter for y'all. I saved y'all for a good few minutes, not reading the entire chapter. Thanks be to God, right? (laughs) The lengthy chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that which Paul writes to the church at Corinth, Paul writes in depth about the importance of resurrection in Christianity. Now, what's interesting about the book of 1 Corinthians is that scholars believe it's actually Paul's second letter. It's not 2 Thessalonians. It's Paul's second letter, they think, to the church at Corinth in ancient Roman cities, what is now modern-day Greece. So Paul was writing so much to the Corinthians and continued to write to them because there was all kinds of conflicts taking place within the church at Corinth, so much so that For me, reading between the lines, I sort of wonder if some were questioning the point of all their efforts on behalf of the church. After all, I can't help but thinking about the verse that comes at the end of chapter 15, verse 58, and the end of verse 58. Your labor is not in vain. Or said another way from the message translation, Nothing you do for God is a waste of time or effort. Now, that sounds great and all, but how could Paul back that up? Let's remember that Paul had just spent the entire chapter, the entire chapter. Remember, I didn't read for you, so you're going to, have to trust me on this. The entire chapter talking about the legitimacy of the resurrection. Basically, he said, what's dead doesn't stay dead. Or, said another way, energy cannot be created or destroyed. Scientifically, we call that the law of thermodynamics. Theologically, if I may take such a bold step, we call it resurrection. Amen. Who we are and what we do does not, does not stay dead. Because of the resurrection, nothing We do for God is a waste of time or effort. Nothing. When anything comes to an end, whether it be a job, a relationship, a life, even a church, there is a sense of loss, and it is important to honor those feelings. From 1888. To 2018. 130 years. Countless believers have put time, talent, and treasure into the work and ministry of Highland Christian Church. Wow. 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 So jo- glad Joanne is here because I like to be an interactive preacher, and Joanne really helps facilitate that. We have rituals like these in order to honor and make space for the inevitable feelings of loss. This is an important part of the grieving process. I remember at my old church, there was a member of a community neighborhood across the street from my church who died. And they didn't, the family did not have a funeral for him. And I wanted there to be a funeral for him, even though I had only known the man a short time, just so I would have a space and time to grieve. I'm also thinking of when my grandfather died a few years ago and at the funeral service, I was not a super big fan of what the pastor had to say because he felt like I was foolish for even mourning my grandfather's death. So I want to acknowledge and legitimize the importance of this time and this place and our feelings of mourning and grief. I don't want to take that from anyone. And while I want to encourage you to mourn this loss, I also want you to do so remembering as Paul wrote elsewhere in 1 Thessalonians. With the hope that your labors and the labors of countless believers who have gone before you are not not dead and gone. As Christians, we take hope in the resurrection truth that your labors are not in vain, they will not stay dead, they will be resurrected. If you take nothing else, nothing else from this day, from this time, please hear these six words. Your labor is not in vain. I want to say that again. Your labor is not in vain. Nothing you've done for God is a waste of time or effort. Your labor will be resurrected. It will not stay dead. You know, the funny thing is, well, I can tell you I believe that our labor will be resurrected, that it won't stay dead, I can't exactly tell you where it will go. I can't answer that question entirely. But true to our resurrecting God, our energies are being transformed into new ways of working with God and the world through others. Because of our faith in a resurrecting God, we can put our faith and trust in this. Yet I believe we can't just stop there. I believe that our task is to look for the ways in which God is resurrecting our labor. And to take part in that. Again, I go back to Paul. Because for Paul, the resurrection of Jesus was not just a one-time event. For him, it signaled that God was doing something in the world, and that we, you and I and the countless believers who have gone before us, are being invited to take part in it. And I believe if we begin to look with eyes of faith, we begin to be able to see our energy and the work of those before us being transformed by God into other works. Amen. Amen. Perhaps this is my own grandiose or hubris, but I can't help but notice my involvement here. If you haven't heard already, I am fortunate to be working with our Central Rocky Mountain Region Disciples of Christ and the Reverend Joanne Bell Haynes and the Mission Gathering Movement Disciples of Christ to be planting a new Disciples Church in Northeast Denver Metro Thornton, Colorado. And again, if I might take such a bold leap, as I have been privileged to share in worship with these faithful believers over the past several months, I honestly believe that their faithfulness and commitment has impacted me. Members of Highland Christian Church, both now and past, as I have heard your stories, as I have seen your faith, As I have joined in your labor, might I say that some of your energy has transferred to me? You know, I can't say where all the labor and energies over the past 130 years. I mean, 130 years. Wow. Where all that has gone. But I am confident in this. That the God who began a good work in the lives of faithful believers some 130 years ago will not let that work stay dead. Amen. 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 It will be resurrected. Yes. Your labors, our labors, and the labors of the faithful cloud witnesses of the past 130 years are not in vain. Nothing Nothing, 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 nothing Nothing we've done for God is a waste of time or effort. I want to close with this story. Last night I was returning from a trip to from Cincinnati where I was attending a conference sponsored by the pension fund of the Christian church. The conference chartered us a bus to take the whole group to the Cincinnati airport about one15 Eastern Standard Time. My flight was to leave about 5:15 Eastern Standard Time, so I had some time uh, to kill at the airport. So I spent some time reading and working on this message. But by the time I boarded the plane, I was eager to get home and see my family, hoping to get supposed to land by 6:30. I thought, great, I can get home in time to put get my kids to bed and give them a kiss goodnight. Unfortunately. As things happen when we fly into Denver, we were informed due to the weather that the airport was not letting flights in and we could fly to Cheyenne and then fly down, but it being a small little jet, we didn't have enough fuel. So we had to land in South Dakota. Well, the good news was that there was a quick fill-up in South Dakota. The bad news was that, you know, People were tired and hungry, and there was a family in front of me, with a young son and a a three-year-old son, and I think a a 13-month-old, I'd guess. And this little one had done fairly well over the flight, a little, little crying, fussing here and there, but did not was not very pleased with the ascension again. And as we began to ascend back into the heights this little one began screaming and wailing at the top of its lungs. And I remember seeing the mom just desperately trying to calm her child, and my heart grieved for this mom. And I said a, I said a short prayer for her, feeling for her desperation and helplessness. Thankfully, the child settled down, and we landed in Denver about two hours late, What's interesting that there were many on this plane who were trying to take connecting flights to elsewhere in the country. And I noticed that this family, too, was one of those. Mm. My heart sunk, realizing that they had another flight to go before they could reach their place of rest. Oh, yeah. And as I, I let, I, I tried to let, or they, they encourage us to let those people with connecting flights rush off the plane. So as I came from behind, I... I made, I began moving down the moving walkway, and I saw to my right the father and his three year old son standing in the line for the airline customer service that seemed to stretch on beyond this length of this sanctuary, this building. And I realized that despite the length of their already difficult night. It would be some time before they reached their final destination. And worse, they had to wait and probably was going to be at least an hour's long line to find out when that would be. My heart hurt for this family, for this mom who had struggled so much for her child, who had still hours to go before they could find their place of rest. So I was ending, I was near the end of this moving walkway and decided to turn around. And get back on the moving walkway, heading the other way. And I circled back to this father standing in line. And he was on his cell phone. And fortunately, right as I walked up, he hung up. And I said, hey, I know this is kind of awkward. But I know you've got a long night ahead of you. And I have kids myself. Is there anything I can do to you to help make this night a little better? Like buy you dinner. He gracefully declined after he got over the initial weirdness, right, of the (laughs) asking. And he thanked me for my offer. So I continued on past the long line, out of the airport, and eventually got home myself. It crossed my mind that my efforts were a waste. But I remembered this truth. That nothing, let's say that, nothing we do for God, on behalf of God is ever a waste. Our labor is not in vain. Please remember these words. Our actions, whether to buy a family dinner or carrying on the faithful witness of this church, will never go to waste. Our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen.